Thank you, band. Hello to everyone here and everyone here digitally. Thank you to LifePoint for letting us do this here. Thank you to Clemson FCA for still being awesome. Um, I started coming to Clemson FCA 11 years ago when my wife was a freshman, sophomore. I don't know, here at Clemson, she was on the leadership team. It was awesome. It was awesome then. It's awesome now. It's really awesome. So, um, I have, I just get out there, I shaved a mustache into my face, thought it'd be a good idea, I'm not sure about it yet, but I'm going to go for it either way, so 2020 just needed a strong vibe change, so I just, you know, we'll just, just send it, you know, see what happens, so um, great, hey, my name is Caleb, uh, for those of you I have not met yet, I am a pastor at New Spring Church, um, <clears throat> I'm excited about being here, somebody told me there was going to be a 35 minute timer on the wall back there, and there's not, and that's okay, but I need to make sure what my time is, because I'm like every other preacher you've ever heard. I really like to talk, and so I will go way too long. Um, so 15 plus 35 is 50. I got to be here. Okay, 50 minutes. Okay, I can do math too. I didn't go to college, but I can do math. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I've been married for, hey, there it is. Sorry, nine years, almost nine years. I have uh, two sons, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. They're awesome. I have a third child that will be here in a few weeks. Um, and I don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet. We're not finding out until he gets here, which is what you do when you run out of money and space in your house. You, you quit caring if it's a boy or a girl because it doesn't matter. I don't have enough money to redecorate the nursery and I'm not buying new clothes for a little while. So it doesn't really matter. Hopefully it's, you know, God loves his kids. So here we go. Um, hey, we're in, you, you guys are in a series, right? Like let's talk about it or something like that. This is kind of like hot topics. I think next week you're covering politics. That'd be a good one. Um, what would be really interesting is if we did like a Trump and Biden thing here to see kind of where it's at. What's really interesting is how, how weird it is to have it be so polarizing right now. Like, anyway, I don't, whatever. It's, it's interesting. It's just, a, it's a crazy time. So, so enjoy that one next week. I'm going to talk about a much less controversial topic tonight. I'm going to talk about sex. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that was so funny. That was really good. Um, no, I really am. I'm going to talk about sex. And... It, it, just take a deep breath because it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird for you. It's going to be weird for me. It's going to be weird for all of us. But it's a really important part of, one, being a, a young adult. Uh, two, it's a really important part, and that's what I hope to show you tonight. It's a really, really important part of being a Christian. Like a, like a crucially important part is understanding a traditional uh, Christian ethic <clears throat> in regards to sex and sexuality. Because we are living right now in an age where there is a ton of new information available. I think the, uh, the amount of just data uh, available in the world, it, it's doubling, I think, every 30 seconds. It used to take, I think it used to take like 15 years for the amount of data in the world to double, and now it doubles every 30 seconds. So there's just, there's an infinite amount of knowledge, an infinite amount of, of resource, of, of new things to be available to you now uh, to me now, you have access to things on, you know, via the internet in your hand. I, I heard somebody talking about in the future, like the internet's not going to be a thing you go to, it's just going to be around you, right? Like the, the goal of, of AI is to essentially make it to where you don't have to Google anything, it's just the internet, you're in the internet. So you'll think it and it will be, and there's companies working on now creating uh, AI that basically will make Google a, a thing that just exists in the air around you and you can think something and it will be there. It's wild to hear people talk about it. But this is the world we're living in. This is the world we're moving forward to. Every technology is, you know, I should have bought stock in Zoom in January because everything goes down and Zoom's up like 800% this year because everybody's meeting digitally. There are people who haven't been to work 
to a physical location in you know seven months. They won't be going back for another year, and yet they're still getting raises and doing work. Like the world is is moving so far forward. It's moving so so fast. There's so much changing. But I want you to know there's there's so much that that won't change, and there's so much that is not going to change, and there's so much that can't change. And it's not um, it's not our duty to necessarily protect. Um, the, the, the idea of Christianity out there, as much as it is our, it's our duty as Christians. I'm assuming if you're in here tonight on a Thursday night at, at 9.42, or you're watching this on a computer at 9.42, I'm assuming it's one of two reasons. One, you're, you're a, a, a confessing, uh, committed follower of Jesus, and you, are, you, you, you see this time as valuable in helping you become more like Jesus, uh, number one. Number two, you're not a believer, but you're interested, right? You, you're trying to see what does the Bible and God and, and Jesus have to say about me and my life and the things going on. And so what I hope to do tonight is to... To, to approach the topic of sex and sexuality from a, not a, um, you know, I, I don't want to be a new age and really talk about anything like that. What I'd rather do is let's just ask the question, what does God and the Bible and Christianity have to say about sex and sexuality and how can that help us? So to get there, we actually don't have to talk about sex to start with. We actually have to talk about much bigger questions. Questions like, what, why did God <clears throat> create human beings? What's the purpose of your human experience. Like what, like if, if according to the Genesis narrative, the, the human experience is the pinnacle of God's creative order, then what's the point? Because this has been a, quite a challenging year. There's quite, you know, the, the amount of bad news all over the place. Like what's the point of human existence? And, and what I love and what I've been kind of into for the last year or so is going back and seeing how have Christians in the past answered this question? How, how did Christians over the last several hundred years, address these, these ideas like why did God actually make people? What's the point, right? What's the, what's, what's the purpose, right? They're like if you, if you look at what's happened since quarantine, since COVID has hit, like loneliness and depression numbers are through the roof. Like the amount of pornography that's being consumed has, has just absolutely skyrocketed when people get by themselves, even in Christians, right? Like even in Christians who are doing a good job at following Jesus, like it's gone through the roof along with loneliness and depression. And it's like, if there's ever been a time to ask, why does the human being exist? Why did God think that it was a good idea to make man and woman in his image breathe life into them and set the world in motion? Then it's right now. And I've, so I've gone back to some of these, these catechisms back in the day. So the Westminster Catechism, you should go look it up. It's pretty famous. The What is the chief end of man, right, is the question at the Westminster Catechism. And they, this is basically a, a Scottish uh, creation for, at the time, they had to figure out a, a lot of, the catechism, if you go back and the initiation of them is you're having to teach Christian principles to people who are, you know, most of them can't read and, 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 and are not very smart. So you, you come up with like short form question and response type things to basically unpack the principles of Christianity. So the Westminster Catechism is a Scottish catechism basically written initially to like farmers, like sheep farmers. So they ask them, what's the chief end of man? Like what's the purpose? What's the chief end of man? And they would answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The Heidelberg Catechism is one written uh, to German mill workers in the 1500s. It was um, basically, imagine like teenage boys and girls going to work at a mill. Uh, this is, you know, with like 
very low-level education. They don't know much about the Christian tradition. So here's what they say. What does God's law require of us? This is the question in the catechism. And here is the answer they would give. That Christ teaches us this in summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The next question that follows that is, well, can you live up to all this perfectly? And these German mill workers, these young teenage guys and gals that are trying to learn the basics of Christianity, they would respond, no. I have a tendency, a natural tendency, to hate God and my neighbor. And they would follow up with this question. Well, did God create people so wicked and perverse? And they would say, no. God created them good. And in his own image, that is in true righteousness and holiness so that they might truly know God, their creator. Love him with all their heart and live with God in eternal happiness to praise and glorify him. God creates man and woman, male and female. He breathes life into them. And the Bible says that it's good. It's super Super good. Like the fact that, that you are a, a two-legged homo sapien with, with air in your lungs and your brain has a, a function and your body, like God thought about that. The fact that when the fall weather gets here and you go buy a $7 pumpkin spice latte and it gives you life, God thought about that. Like God thought it would be a good idea for you to cut down trees and put them in a fireplace and, and heat them up so that it makes fire. And it's like all the things that you enjoy as of being a human being, God thought about that. He said it's good, like it's really, really good. The, the idea of, of the human experience, now maybe 2020 has not been super good, but being a human being rules, like it rules, man. Like if you were a lizard, you would have woken up this morning and your day would have been significantly more lame than your day was today. You, would, you have one purpose, right? Just like exist as a lizard, right? Like, or like, think about if you were a chicken. You just, you just peck and you just do, like there's no, there are no thoughts that have, just a chicken just exists, Right? Then you die and people eat you and they just move on. There's no remorse. No one ever gets even emotionally attached to a chicken. I'm, over, I'm overplaying this point way too much. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like there's depth to the human experience. Like think about love. Like the first time you fall in love with somebody. Like think about all the things that you feel when you're on like, like date three or four and you're starting to think like, oh man, this could really be something. You stay up all night, you talk to your friends, you, you, you can't wait to plan the next thing. Like, it's, it's amazing. My, there used to be a place downtown Clemson called Anchos. Did anybody ever eat at Anchos? Yes, there's some old people over here. I love this. It hadn't been around for a long time because it was disgusting and the service was horrible. But the food was, was amazing, all right? They used to have this, this sandwich called uh, the blackjack or black and chicken sandwich. Yes, yes. I don't know who you are, but let's go, let's go, yeah. Um, yeah, man, it was awesome. So anyway, so my wife, 
and I, we, we, uh, we're our first date, we go to Ancho's, and I literally, I'd never been on a date before. I grew up in a house with all brothers. I played all sports growing up, traveling sports. My mom is like a second dad. She's extremely tomboyish. Like, we, there's no girl things, right? There was never a girl in my house, ever. I, didn't, I knew nothing about girls. I, to this day, am extremely uh, uncomfortable with any and all emotion. I just don't, none of it. Nothing, nothing. And um, I meet this woman, I meet this girl, and I asked her to go on a date. She said yes. <clears throat> and so I showed up at the date, and I had like a three-by-five note card with questions on it, like it was an interview, because I have no idea what a date is outside of going to prom in high school. I'd never been on a date. I had no new, it's like an interview, right? You interview them, and if you like them, you marry them. That's what, that's what I thought it was. And it turned out that's kind of how it is, so it worked. But we go to Ancho's, and we're there, and I'm thinking like, okay, I've blocked like an hour and 15 minutes for this in between classes. We end up sitting there for like four hours. She skipped her class. You know, I'm the bad boy that's getting her out of school, you know, whatever. She's skipping class for me. It was kind of sick. But I remember leaving that lunch and literally and thinking like, I don't, I've never been in love. I don't know what love is. I've never been on a date. This is the only girl I've ever, but I don't want to go on a date with anybody else. Like I literally, I left the first date and thought, I'm going to marry her. I don't care. And, and I, and I, so then it was like months of like, oh my gosh, there's so, there's so much love. And like, and I remember being so alive and thinking like, man, I'm just, I love all of this. There's so much goodness here inside of this. And it was all because I was a human. And I get to eat blackjack sandwiches with this spicy chicken and, and pepper jack cheese and these french fries. And this guy behind the counter has smoked $1,000 worth of marijuana before he serves me this. And he can hardly like see me. He's so, right, this is why this place got closed. But like, like every bit of it, the whole experience was incredible. And God thought of all of it. He said it was good. But the devil who also exists is really good at his job. He put... God put Adam and Eve in paradise and said, you can literally do anything you want. There is one thing in all of everything that you can't do. And the devil convinced Adam and Eve that the guy who put them in paradise was a bad guy and that he was holding out on them and that there was something that like, Right, because he comes to them and there's like, don't eat from this tree. And he's like, he's like, why? He's like, well, did God really say? And he convinced them in that whole conversation. You've probably read Genesis chapter three. But like, like God wanted that God's, God's purpose is human flourishing. Like God wants you to, to experience the absolute fullness of the human experience. He wants it to be blessed he wants it to be full, full of, of joy and full of pain, deep, deep pain that causes you to worship him and full of, full of tremendous gain, like abundance you couldn't imagine, full of loss that causes you to remember it's actually not about any of the, like all of it, the fullness, like God wants Clemson to win national championships, a thousand of them. Amen, that's not in the Bible and probably not true, but it's because he wants you to just be happy, right? Like there's like, there's so much about, Life that God created and thought up and he wants you to experience it because he's good and he wants it to be good. So when it comes to sex and sexuality, we have to start at the understanding that everything God says and does is good. Everything that God says that God does is good and it's for our good. It is for human flourishing. There is not a single thing that God says or instructs or encourages that if we follow, our life gets worse, not one. And we then, you and me, as followers of Jesus, 
we then have the task at searching deep inside the word of God and figuring out what that is. So let's talk um, about a couple of texts for uh, about traditional Christian sexuality, okay? Um, it's a pretty interesting time in the world, right? Like in, just even in regards to like what's acceptable sexuality and it's changing very quickly. Um, like the average, like the, 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 the average like music video today that comes out on like YouTube and stuff would never have made it on TV like 10 years ago, literally. Like there is, there is, there's so much good about having like unlimited access to every bit of content that exists in the world. But I'm telling you, there is like what, what you just have to just wade through on a normal day to day just to do your life, right? Like whether you're on Twitter, is anybody on Twitter anymore? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Yeah, it's cool, right? It's cool for us old guys. Yeah, let's go to Ancho's and look at our Twitter accounts together. <laughs> Holy crap, I'm so old now. This is awful. Um, like if you're just to try to go to any app that you have that has any sort of like social value to you, you have to wade through a tremendous amount of not good content in order to just do what you want to do. It's a whole new way of understanding like temptation and being faced with things that never happen. So let's just talk about a couple of traditional Christian, these are just Bible verses, okay? I have a few from the Gospels to see what Jesus says, and then I have a few from Paul's epistles to kind of see what he says. Just so you know, the way the church has always determined, determined, determined orthodoxy, like what is acceptable, is there's a couple of standards. Number one, here's, here's the standard. What did Jesus say in the Gospels? What's recorded in the text that Jesus said in the Gospels? Number two, in the book of Acts, what did the early church practice? And number three, what did Paul instruct and hold accountable to in his epistles? Okay, so in order for us to determine what is a, an orthodox, acceptable view on Christian sexuality, We've got to use what the church has always used to determine everything orthodox, okay? Because you can go to YouTube right now and find preachers that will, that, they will call themselves a Christian preacher and they will teach you and say things on sexuality and they will try to convince you that that's the way Christians have always done it. So you've got to be prepared and equipped to know how to go find the truth for yourself, Okay, we live in a preacher age now where if I asked you what Christian books you're reading or what Christian teaching you're getting, you would immediately reference a preacher that you're listening to on a podcast or watching on YouTube. That's a new invention, okay? And, and just because somebody has a big following does not mean they have any idea what they're talking about or that they've ever read a book, right? Some of them are just pretty and dynamic. So you have to learn how to find truth for yourself. So let's read some of these Bible verses. I'm gonna go through some of these just really quick. You don't have to follow them or anything. But I promise they're Bible verses. I'm not one of those guys that's like trying to lie to you. Okay, <laughs> I should have put these on the screen. Matthew 5, 28, Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Mark chapter 10, verse six through nine. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one 
separate. Let's get to some of Paul's letters. Ephesians chapter five, verse three. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Galatians chapter five, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And finally, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Now, just reading seven fairly straightforward, easy to find texts in the Bible. Is it unclear in any way what an acceptable Christian ethic is regarding sexuality? Is there any room for gray in there? No. Any of us would, would sit down with the Bible and, and take 20 minutes and figure out what the Bible has to say about sex and sexuality. That's not, that's not the confusing part. The confusing part for all of us is trying to figure out why does the Bible, why does Christianity have anything to say about sexuality? Why, if, if Christianity is like, uh, you know, this, this, this per perfect, pure, beautiful religion, why would it touch a topic like sex? Why, why would it have anything to say about sex? But if you study the text, so much of what Paul is writing as he's planning these church and trying to build good culture and disciple people, he's trying to tell them, like so much of them, it's about beliefs and basically just saying like, and stop sleeping with each other. Like if you read, if you go listen to like the, the people in Corinth, like the, the Christians, and they weren't like, they weren't pagans, they were Christians, they were, they were confessors of, of, of the, the way, they, they, were, they were baptized believers in Jesus Christ, and they were having sex with everybody. Didn't man, woman, man, man, adult, child, it was horrible, right? Like they, they were doing things in those days, in those times, in these cities, in these Greek you know, cities around the Mediterranean Rim that would make us blush. And Paul is trying to say like, it's not, no, that's not the point. Because the way you and I approach our sexuality is a direct reflection of what we believe about Jesus, his current reality, and the hope of the life to come. The whole book of, like if you go read 1 Thessalonians, I would encourage you, when you got some time over fall break, go read 1 Thessalonians chapter four and you will see in like 10 verses, Paul talks about this. Basically, stop having sex and treat your body with honor and then he flips it immediately too because there's the day of the Lord is coming and Jesus Christ is coming back. And, and, and we like, we would teach on, we would do two different sermon series to unpack these ideas, right? It would be like, you know, be pure, don't have sex, and yeah, Jesus is gonna come back one day. But Paul's like, no, it's all one thing. It's like, we have, an, we have a duty to live our faith out in practice because it's real. It's not a set of beliefs that someone just told us we were supposed to adhere to. It's like, this is our life. The Christian life is to be lived in hope of a life to come, not in, in just like, oh man, I guess I've got like 74 years here statistically, so I better get it while I can. And too many people, that's how they live their life. So I've got five pieces of advice and I gotta go fast because I have 12 minutes. Okay, five pieces of advice. This is like, this is 30-year-old Caleb now with a mustache and three children trying to teach 
my younger brethren in the Greek, brothers and sisters, um, about this is the advice that I would give to you, okay? This is coming from someone who, uh, when I was your age and my wife was a Clemson student, we did not do the best job of this, okay? So, right, hindsight's twenty twenty, but um, this is also coming from somebody who has a lot of sex. That's weird to say. I get it. It's weird to hear. But I'm married. I'm very happily married. I have had a lot of sex. I do have a lot of sex, and I plan to have a lot of sex, right? So, like, sex is a, is a part of my life. So, for some of you, some of you, it's like, there's a reason I'm saying that. Like, I want, you, I want you to trust me when I say this, because there's a difference in letting someone poor tell you that money doesn't fulfill you and letting somebody rich tell you that money doesn't fulfill you, right? Like, if the poor person is telling you, like, money's never going to make you happy, you'd be like, how would you know? But if a rich man is standing here telling you money's not gonna make you happy, you'd probably be like, oh man, crap. I'm the rich man, do you get it? Do you get the analogy? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Okay, all right. Man, all right, five pieces of advice. Number one, play offense more than you play defense. Here's what I mean. The point of following Jesus is not to just not mess up sexually, it's to actually fall in love with Jesus. Don't just be a Christian on the surface. Like, dig deep into what it means to be a committed follower of Christ because there's tremendous goodness and richness in it. Be filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit. Have this, have this amazing, flourishing Christian experience going on, fueled by depth of love for God. Get into the Word. Eat your Bible the way God tells Ezekiel in Ezekiel 2. Like, eat this scroll. Learn it. Read it. Know it. Search it. Following Jesus is incredible, and not just because it keeps you from doing bad stuff. That's not the point. Too many of us were trained to think that following Jesus is the best way to not make that many mistakes before you die and meet meet Jesus. Like, just be a Christian, which means just only do good stuff. And that's not it at all. It's about learning to live this life, this full, abundant life that God came to give us. Play offense, not defense. Don't just try to not do bad stuff. Do good stuff. Fall in love with God, pursue Jesus. Okay, number one. Number two, this one's simple. We only have to explain this. Don't have sex or perform sexual acts on anyone you're not married to. Engagement isn't marriage. Dating is not marriage. Marriage is marriage. Because it's on the other side of vows that you have made to your spouse. This is is one of the the, the pleasures reserved for men and women who enter into a covenant with each other. And I'm saying all this hoping that you're sitting there going, man, why is he saying this? I know all of this. But it, it is shocking to me how many young couples that my wife and I meet with this, these days who have no idea what a covenant is in marriage. They have no idea why they should wait until marriage to have sex. This Christian marriage is is only an idea. It only exists because God instituted it to reflect his relationship to the world with us. Marriage is man and a woman, imperfect and imperfect, binding themselves to each other. They stand in front of their friends and family that are gonna help hold them accountable. They make promises, legally binding promises to each other. It is blessed and ordained by a Christian minister who, who, on the authority of God, blesses this union. There is tremendous depth to what it means to be able to enjoy the, the person that you love. Do not, do not, Try to enjoy those pleasures without the vows. 
Don't give something to someone that hasn't made promises that they're gonna be with you for sickness in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, richer or in poorer. Because most people just, they do whatever they want and then they, they, they break up and they're like, what happened? Well, he didn't make you any promises and you didn't make him any promises. Definitely not in front of God, definitely not in front of your friends and family, right? Like there's a point to Christian marriage. And I'm saying all of Paul's encouragement against performing sexual acts with a large number of people is every time you do, your soul gets attached to them. You give a part of yourself away that you can't find. If you could find it, you take it back, but you can't. You give your, you're, you're, you're giving your soul to somebody, so don't until you get married. And then, man, give your soul to him and get in all the weird you know, stuff together. It's awesome. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> number three. This is one that uh, is, is <clears throat> we need to talk about in 2020. If you have same-sex attraction, your best option is celibacy, and it will be much more difficult than some of your heterosexual friends. So let me say this, there's a, there's a lot of um, Christians who have same-sex attraction. There's a difference in being a Christian who has same-sex attraction and being a Christian that practices homosexuality. Let me say that again. There's a big difference in being a committed follower of Christ who has same-sex attraction and being a committed follower of Christ who practices homosexuality. One of them is a, is a curse because of the fall. You have a sin nature, just like I have a sin nature. That's why it's thrown in there with greed and debauchery and impurity, all sorts of impurity, right? There's no, um, yeah, so there's a difference in, I, I, I'm a Christian, I love God, I tremendously love God, I wanna follow Jesus, but I'm attracted to someone of the same sex, and I'm going to be practicing homosexuality. There's never, you're never, ever, you can search it 100 times over, you're never gonna find somewhere in the text where it's ever okay to practice homosexuality, ever. It's cursed by God, tremendously. It's easy to find. But you can be a very real, true Christian and have same-sex attraction. Your option then is to be like Jesus, be encouraged. Your option is celibacy. Your option is to pursue a pure and holy life with God as your treasure and God as your pleasure. Okay, uh, number four, choose your friends carefully and embrace a life of honesty and confession. So many people make decisions they would never make and get into places they would never go, doing things they would never do just because they decided to hang out with a bunch of dummies. Don't do that. Like, if you are, if you are stated in your heart, like, I love God, I want to follow Jesus, find some people that want the same thing. Because misery loves company. And you will find that people are extremely willing to make you compromise your morals to make them feel better about the morals that they've compromised. People will be so happy to put videos of drunk you all over the internet just to make them feel a little bit better about how many times they've been blackout drunk. It happens all the time. They'll be so happy to watch you and your boyfriend or you and your girlfriend make decisions that you super duper regret just so that they'll feel a little bit less bad about all the bad decisions they make. Don't do that. Hang out with people that encourage your lifestyle. Hang out with people that encourage your growth and embrace a lifestyle of honesty and confession. You're not perfect. You're not supposed to be perfect. God didn't save you in hopes that you would just like have a, a perfect record by the end of your life. No, he saved you because he loves you and he wanted to restore the reality of his goodness into your life. You've gotta be honest. You gotta be honest about where you're struggling. If you're, not okay, if you're, if you're doing something that is rejected by God, by Orthodox Christianity, confess it, repent, move on. 
work it out. If you and your boyfriend or you and your girlfriend are living in sin currently, confess it to your friends, get them to pray for you, take some time apart, move forward, right? Like it's not, um, there's a difference in shame and conviction. Conviction is 100% from God. It says, I'm doing something wrong. I need to change. Shame is from the devil. It says, I am something wrong. I'll never be able to change. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit, man. Like God himself came to live with us to, to say, like, if you're doing something wrong, you need to change. You need to change your mind. You need to change your habits. Like, there need to be better practices in there. Shame is not from God, especially if Jesus Christ has paid the price for you to have a new life with him, eternal. If you're forgiven of this sin, then you shouldn't feel shame. You should feel conviction to repent, right? This, we should always feel this. We should feel the, the, the nudge of the Holy Spirit to grow. Okay, and point number five, and I'm gonna close with a little bit of prayer and a story. Point number five is this. Sex is not the point of life. It's not. And if you, if you think that, you're gonna be tremendously disappointed. I mean, you're gonna be so sad, it's unbelievable. Or you're going to absolutely destroy your life in pursuit of this carnal, carnality and pleasure that you thought was what it was all about. It's just not, man. It's just not, all right? Take it from the rich man. It's just not. It's good. It's awesome. Sometimes it's really awesome. It's not the point of life. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And this is a really important season of your life, a really important phase of your life to understand the point of your existence. It's not to pursue pleasure. It's not to pursue... There are things, there are gifts that God brings into our lives in all sorts of shapes and sizes, but it's never hit home like it did. I have a, a buddy of mine that <clears throat> we went to the same high school. He ended up, he played soccer in college. He ended up playing in the MLS for like, for like a decade. It was awesome. He had a good career. And one time he came back and um, like he, he, he retired. He was living in Vancouver and he, he moved back and we met for coffee. We were living in Charlotte at the time. So we met, we actually met for sushi. There was a place downtown Charlotte for like $9. You could eat unlimited sushi. It was awesome. And we meet, and I hadn't talked to him in five or six years. I didn't know what to talk to him about. I didn't know what we were going to talk about. I'm just meeting, a, you know, an old buddy for, for sushi. And about five minutes into lunch, he knew I was a pastor. He, you know, he, he knew that's kind of what I was doing. He had listened to some of my, some of my messages and kind of knew what, what I was talking about. And he says, he says, hey, I've heard you talk about sex before. And he says, I've, I've had sex with over a thousand women. And he said, I, I, I feel nothing anymore. I don't, I don't feel anything. I don't, it doesn't, I don't feel, I feel nothing. I can't, like, I feel no attraction to, to women or men. I just, I feel nothing. I've, I've, I've had so much sex that I'm, I've completely numbed myself to everything in the world. He says, you talk about God, I feel nothing. You talk about death, I feel nothing. And he, he, had, he had explored pleasure sexually as a non-Christian with so many different people trying to look for it and never found it and he's, he's crying at lunch as a grown man with a lot of money and has just has spent the last decade of his life flying all over the world having sex with anyone he wanted to and he's sitting across the table from me eating sushi in downtown Charlotte saying I have ruined myself and I just I realized in that moment man God God's word is life to us 
God's plan, God's instruction for us, it's good. Do you know why I'm a Christian? Not because it's right, because it's good. Like, like God, the message of Colossians, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Not counting our trespasses and sins against us, but rather making a way for us to be made right with God. The message that we have, Christian, is called the good news. It's good. It's good. Good news for those of you who are in here and you're sexually immoral and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit all over your life tonight. Good news for you. The good news is the work has been finished on the cross by Jesus. And your faith in Christ gets you into eternal life and God right now is willing to come and meet with you here. Good news for those of you who feel like you've made decisions sexually that you'll never recover from. Good news. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is completely gone. The new has come. Good news. I got good news for those of you who want to seek goodness and purity in the land of the living. The good news is that the goodness of God is coming after you all the days of your life. Because that covenant, that marriage covenant that we see broken all the time because people don't don't understand what a covenant is, they don't understand what promises are. That covenant is just a, a, a tiny mirrored reflection of the covenant that God made to us in Christ. Because of Christ, God can't stop loving you. He can't. He has to give his best to you. When you wake up in the morning, you may wake up and feel horrible. And guess what? God's going to be right there going, God, I'm going to love the crap out of you today. He can't help himself because he's so good. It's just at the, it's at the core of who he is. It's just goodness, like blah, good all over everything. So let's hold to a traditional Orthodox Christian ethic that our saints and the brothers and sisters that have gone before us have held and died to pass down to us. And let's carry the good news with us and look for people around us who need the good news because they're currently right now shipwrecking their lives on the rocks of sexual immorality. So I wanna pray and then I'm done. My time's up. Okay. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Because I don't, I, I, there's people in here that need to be prayed for. I can feel it for sure. But I don't want it to be any, you know, embarrassing by any stretch. So please close your eyes and bow your heads and don't like, um, please don't look around. Because this is a really personal time of reflection and prayer. <clears throat> so what I want to do is tonight I want to pray for anyone who feels shame. Maybe you've made some decisions you're extremely not proud of and you just, you want to hear the truth of the good news, but you just can't because all you feel right now is shame. If that's you, will you please just like slip your hand up real fast so I can just pray for you? Father, I pray for anybody in here tonight that just, that just, they feel paralyzed. They are right now coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God with us. They are realizing that there is some repentance that needs to be um, practiced in their life. Father, I pray I completely and totally reject shame off of their life. 100% reject shame. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and flood their heart right now with your love, with your mercy and your kindness and your goodness? Would they feel nothing but encouragement from you, God, to pursue a life of holiness? Father, for everybody else, I just, I want to pray for strength. 
I want to pray for just a fresh filling, a fresh wind and breath of the Spirit of God on their lives. To, um, I fully believe that, that we are a generation of, of confessing legit Christians who are in a very challenging time to exist in the world, and we need help. So Holy Spirit, would you come and be our helper? Come and be our guide. Show us the truth. Come and be our teacher. Teach us the truth. Show us Jesus. Get our minds back to Jesus. Bring us back into the love of our Abba, Father, of our Daddy, who didn't send his Son into the world that the world might be condemned, but rather sent his Son into the world that through him it might be saved. Would we remember that for that God, you so loved the world that you gave your son. You weren't so mad at the world. You weren't so disappointed in the world. You weren't so confused at how the world got where it was. You were so in love with us that you sent your best to come and bring us back to you. So Father, we receive your love. We receive your blessing on our lives. We receive the purity that you've called us to. Help us to, to, to fall more in love with you, Jesus, than we do with the world around us. In your name we pray.